Hey, what's up? We're back for the second half of our two-part series featuring leaders in robotics, autonomous mobile robots, and logistics. Brought to you by A3. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey folks, welcome back. This episode is a little different from what we normally do on Manufacturing Happy Hour. This episode features a compilation of six interviews taken from the 2021 AMRs and Logistics Conference in Memphis, Tennessee, hosted by A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. So we have 12 interviews for you in total. As I mentioned in the very, very start, this is part two of a two-part episode. So if you haven't listened to that, make sure to go back and check that out. But if you're just joining us, I do want to make sure I set the stage so you know what to expect. Typically on this show, we're doing long-form interviews with a manufacturing leader, but today we did it a little differently. Since there were so many people at this show, we wanted to get the best insights we could from as many people as possible. So we got six 10-ish minute interviews coming your way, featuring the following individuals in this order. Daniel Theobald of Vecna Robotics, Jason Walker of Waypoint Robotics, Ben Waters of Webotic, Melanie Wise of Fetch Robotics, Michael Patrick Perry of Dexterity, and Aaron Prather from FedEx. Now, a couple things to mention. Another thing that's different about this episode is Jake Hall, former Manufacturing Happy Hour guest from episode 41, better known as the Manufacturing Millennial. He's serving as my co-host for these interviews. He's got a lot of expertise in the robotic space, and it was great to have him asking some great questions of the guests we had. Also, this was recorded live. This was right outside of the show floor, so there might be a little trade show band there might be a little noise in the background, but I think you're really going to enjoy what these folks have to say. Maybe one of the coolest aspects about these interviews is it features a number of manufacturing happy hour alumni. Michael Perry from episode 55, as well as Aaron Prather mentioned him. He's episode 52, and you're going to keep hearing his name coming up throughout the episode since FedEx was such an instrumental sponsor of the show. So whether you're familiar with the robotics and logistics space or not, you should walk away with a taste of what's taking place in the AMR and robotics world right now. Before we jump into this episode, since it is chocked full of interviews and information, if you want to see the show notes from these conversations, head over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash AMRL2021. That's A as in autonomous, M as in mobile, R as in robots, and L as in logistics, 2021. Those are the numbers. And since we are talking about the AMR and logistics show, I do want to make sure I give a shout out to A3 and the other great events they have coming up, especially Automate 2022. Now, this is going to be taking place in Detroit, Michigan from June 6th through 9th, and registration is open now, and there's no cost to attend. You can learn more at automateshow.com. That's, again, automateshow.com. Or if you're listening to this as a later date, say it's past June 2022, well, A3 is a great community. They're constantly throwing great events. Just head over to their website at automate.org to see what they have going on at this time. A big thanks to A3 because they really are the ones that made these episodes possible. 
And with that, I want to get you introduced to our first guest. He leads one of the leading companies in the AMR world. So let's dive right in. All right, our guest today has 67 issued patents and over 30 patents pending. 2018, he founded Vecna Robotics, now a global leader in autonomous solutions for the logistics industry. I'd like to welcome Daniel Theobald. Welcome, Dan. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Great to have you here, Daniel. And to kick things off, since it's Manufacturing Happy Hour, I'm sure since this is a compilation episode, people are hearing me say this over and over, but we love kicking it off as if we're having a conversation over a drink. Simple terms, right? So if you could describe Vecna Robotics from that standpoint, that would be a great way to kick us off. Yeah, uh, very simply, Vecna Robotics is the world leader in high-capacity AMRs. So think driverless forklifts, driverless tuggers, um, things that um, make it easier for humans to do what humans do well and not have to worry about the boring, dangerous job sometimes of carrying stuff all the way across the warehouse repeatedly again and again and again. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, you know, we're at currently right now, we're at the Autonomous Mobile Robots and Logistics Conference, and we're seeing a lot of different AMR solutions. But I think one of the discussions that we just, you just literally gave an hour-long kind of keynote presentation on was this idea of interoperability for AMRs. Why is the conversation so important now between communication and collaboration between other devices and not just, you know, its own individual platform. Because for me, I always thought of AMRs as their own independent solutions, own independent simulations, their own mapping, their own, you know, sensors and hardware. Yep. Yep. Why, why interoperability? Well, and you nailed it. I mean, that's where industries start, right? A brand new industry, you got a lot of companies coming into it and they'll build proprietary solutions to solve all these problems. But as the industry starts to mature, what you find is it needs to start to work together. Um, so the other hat I wear is actually co-founder and president of Mass Robotics. Mm -hmm. And Mass Robotics um, is an organization that specifically was founded to try and help the industry solve some of these problems. Why does interoperability matter? Well, imagine if we were still back in the day with computers where you could only buy software from the company that actually built your computer hardware. Most people don't remember that. But that's the way it used to be. And, the, you know, we were never going to get to a point where you could go online and download an app um, from anywhere and have it work on your hardware um, until there was some standards that allowed that to happen. So that's the whole point is sharing information is important. And we're never going to unlock the full value of robotics and AMRs if they're a black box. Absolutely. So when we're looking at, you know, sharing of information, it's not just benefiting the end user. It's not just benefiting FedEx, who has four or five different AMRs on their floor right now. It's benefiting all the individual manufacturers as well because they can build on each other's solutions. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. There tends to be this evolution we see in industries where there is sort of what I would call the short-sighted phase mm -hmm. where people think, oh, we've got special sauce and we're going to own it. Right? Yeah. We're going to own all of it. And what they, what they oftentimes fail to understand is that this is, this is a multi-trillion dollar industry if we work together and unlock the value that can be provided. So it's not a zero-sum game. Um, and so those vendors who lean into this and provide solutions that do play nicely mm -hmm. in the ecosystem are going to be more successful. Um, you know, it was funny as we were doing this panel earlier, uh, I felt, I think all of us felt like we were in the principal's office when Aaron from FedEx was saying, I'm serious about this. We will not buy your solution if it doesn't interoperate. 
so we're, we're now in this new phase where it, it, it is, is serious. It needs to be taken into account. And the good news is it unlocks huge value um, if we work together to share just very basic information. Yeah, Aaron definitely drove that point home. I, in fact, I tweeted that quote when uh, when he brought it up. So if there's anything I took away from that presentation, it was that. You know, you mentioned it uh, a moment ago as well, you, um, uh, mass robotics as well. Tell us a little bit more about that. Cause I'm sure people would be interested in knowing about your other, let's say, side hustle, your other uh, focus <laughs> as well. Yeah, so mass robotics is an amazing organization. And... Um, uh, I can uh, just tell you how proud I am of everybody in the industry who's come together to make that happen. Um, you know, there was a, a, a small number of us that um, early on identified the need for it, but um, it would not have happened without lots and lots of people coming together. And, and the goal of Mass Robotics is really threefold. One, um, to help promote and educate the next generation of STEM talent huge problem we're facing here in this country. We're falling way behind. And so getting kids interested in technology is important. And robotics is a great way to do that. The second mission is around connecting innovators, end users, and investors mm -hmm. in, in a, a meaningful conversation. One of the biggest problems I observed early on is you had a lot of really talented people coming out of universities who were excited about robots and they'd go and they'd build really cool robots that did really worthless things, right? Because they didn't have that connection to real end users. Mm -hmm. So mass robotics acts as a convener to try and bring in the big end users and the, the small innovative startups. So what companies, as we're listening to this and you know, there's, there's dozens of different manufacturers and companies to listen to these podcasts. What companies should look into mass robotics and being a part of that organization? Yeah, I mean, anyone involved in the mobile robotics industry in, in any, really robotics and connected devices is what it's all about. Um, uh, you know, it's called mass robotics. The, the idea there is that we're trying to work for the mass deployment of this technology and make it happen in a way that benefits the human race as a whole. Um, and um, it's uh, something where um, uh, robotics companies should be involved and users who need to use robotics companies should be involved. Uh, investors and, um, uh, you know, that whole financial segment uh, should be involved because it really takes all those pieces coming together, you know, at the right place and the right time to, um, to, to help move this forward. You know, and, and so then the third part of Mass Robotics' mission is this idea of standards and, and trying to provide the, you know, sort of the willpower that no individual company would ever have to actually get some of this stuff done. Um, you know, and it was interesting when we first started the Mass Robotics Interoperability Working Group, tons of skepticism and tons of um, uh, uh, people who are, you know, basically fighting against it. Just this idea of no one wants to work together, everyone wants to play on their own home turf. That's right, that's right. But once we sort of got it over this threshold of, no, guys, this is gonna happen. It's happening. No, it's really happening. And then it sort of switched from, you know, trying to be an obstacle in many cases to actually saying, oh crap, we better get on board yeah. with this or we're going to get left behind. The train's behind. leaving town. train's leaving town and if we are not playing nicely at this point, we're very quickly going to be left on the outside looking in. And, you know, again, Aaron tried to make that point very strongly that if you're not willing to collaborate and cooperate, 
you know, this industry isn't going to uh, be a great place for you long term. Yeah. Aaron's quote, just for people listening, the robot manufacturers need to make a decision one way or another on interoperability because there probably won't be a second chance. Yeah. So the, the answer, I think, should be obvious there. <laughs> well, hey, before before we wrap, I do have another question, kind of a personal question as well. And it's this is much a leadership podcast. This is a manufacturing podcast. And I've got a question for you about leading through growth, right? A little actionable advice to, to give the folks listening before we before we wrap in that. You've raised something like 60 million in venture capital over the past couple of years. You've been growing quickly. How have you been managing through that, leading through that, when it's not only a combination of technology, but you have the people aspect about it as well. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, I think it's really important anytime we talk about robotics to remember that people are the point. It, it, it can be easy to feel like people are a problem and robots are an answer to that problem. And that is not the right way to look at it. And when you look at it that way, you end up creating issues that, um, that get in the way of success. People are the point. They're why we do everything we do. And we always try and look at robotics as a way to empower people, to allow people to do more than ever before. People are amazing. You know, in Elon Musk's quote, uh, when the Model 3 factory was, you know, sort of not delivering, uh, was very uh, instrumental here, he, or, or uh, uh, instructive here. He said, we made a mistake, correction, I made a mistake. We tried to over-automate, people are underrated. And the reason for that is Hollywood's kind of ruined us with respect to robots. We think of robots as these omniscient, superhuman Good point. things. Yeah. yeah, but they're not. Robots are the dumbest contributors to your company's success you will ever have. <laughs> they, are they are very, very slightly above a basic machine. Um, so humans are needed to be part of that solution. And, and the, the companies that do the job of best integrating the strengths of humans and the strengths of robots are the ones that are gonna give you resilient, flexible, scalable solutions. Otherwise, it's science projects. And you know, I, I heard somebody saying, well, there's a lot of science projects out there. <laughs> and, and there are. Um, and getting out in the real world and dealing with the exceptions that happen on a daily basis is something that um, you need humans to be a part of. I love that quote. People are not the problem. They are the point. Yeah. And I think the sooner manufacturers and companies start realizing that that's the way you need to look at things, they're going to be more successful. That's why we do everything yeah. we do, right? At the end of the day, it's a human being who is clicking on their screen to order that product that starts this whole cycle. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if, if uh, we don't acknowledge that, then I think we're, we go down a path that maybe none of us want to uh, end up on. Well, love the background, love the pragmatic advice across the board. What's the best way to connect with Vecna Robotics? Yeah, if you want to uh, go to our website, VecnaRobotics.com, we're um, certainly happy to have you reach out to me uh, through LinkedIn, Daniel Theobald at Vecna Robotics. Um, uh, happy to have a conversation. You know, it oftentimes surprises me that people don't reach out uh, more because I, sometimes we don't realize that they're all just people. We're yeah. all people mm -hmm. and we're here and we've got this great thing called the internet. So We're passionate about this industry. Yeah, yeah, connect with us. Well, for those who haven't picked it up, this is, uh, Daniel's a very accessible individual, so make sure to reach out. And Daniel, we just want to thank you for taking the time to jump on the show. Hey, thanks for doing this. Great job. Cheers. Okay, so interoperability, communication, collaborations, first in general, and then in the context of mass robotics. 
Love this conversation with Daniel. And uh, I'm going to quote him one more time. People are the point. If you think back to part one of this two-part episode, Eric Nieves of Plus One Robotics was also very vocal about this topic. One down, five to go. So let's get you introduced to our next guest and another fantastic AMR company. We are here with Jason Walker, co-founder and CEO of Waypoint Robotics, founded in 2017, 2016. We've been debating this. What, what, what's the, what's the date? What's the right way to say it? Uh, incorporated August 8th, 2016, but we started operating in Q1, 2017. All right, and we are here again at the AMRL Conference 2021, and you just got off the stage not too long ago. So we have some questions around that. We're gonna let Jake jump in with our first question here. Yeah, absolutely. So. AMRs, it's a hot topic right now in the industry. Everyone's talking about it and things are moving fast and actually really fast for Waypoint Robotics because we are now Q3 2021, so less than, less than five years from when you guys were founded and you guys had some pretty awesome news with uh, Waypoint Robotics and Locust. You know, yeah. let's first of all, let, let's talk about that. How did that come to be, where we are now and you know, what's the quick future outcome look like for, for what's next? I'll try to make this a quick, short answer. Um, Waypoint was always privately funded. We uh, grew the company through uh, reinvesting everything we made and uh, inputs from our, our parent company. And uh, we got to a point where we had grown it organically to a point where we had the product sorted out, we had a good customer base, but we knew we were gonna need a lot more resources to serve our customers at a much higher level. So bigger customers, more customers, et cetera. And that was gonna require a ton of capital. And so we started the process of uh, you know, looking into uh, possible fundraising. Um, and we had also had a lot of folks coming to us unsolicited inquiring about buying the company. and. I went to my board and I said, look guys, we keep getting these questions. We should know if somebody actually shows up with a check, if that's a good deal or not. <laughs> and so we decided to really engage in the process of uh, figuring out um, you know, what our options are. And right away, uh, Locus stepped up and said, I got an idea. And um, and the two companies just fit so perfectly together. There's almost no overlap between what Waypoint does and what Locust does. Um, and that's very much by design. We built Waypoint to be everything that other AMRs and other AMR companies aren't. Not because we think it's wrong. I, I, I'm fond of saying that there are no wrong answers in AMRs right now because it's such a big market. There is so much need that uh, you know, there's, there is someone for everyone. Um, so, so that's a big point right now. I think, you know, when you look at a lot of times just acquisitions and companies moving, Locus and, and Waypoint was a great fit because it's not a, a change, it's an expansion of opportunity for what Waypoint Robotics offering was before and what Locus is before. And now you can just collaborate together and provide a lot more, exactly. a lot more solutions. And is the key word with this merger. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, we want to give our customers the, the things that we haven't been able to, which Locus can, and Locus wants to be able to give their customers the same great Locus experience, but with much higher payloads. So the, the, the fit is perfect. And the place where there is a ton of overlap, and this is 
really, I think, why it felt so right for everybody is that we all had the same mission starting out, and we started out pretty close to the same time. We're both New England companies. Our offices are only like 20 minutes apart, and we wanted to make mobile robots easy. And the folks at Locus come from uh, 3PLs, right? They come from the logistics industry, and so they just perfectly precisely exactly knew what to build how to sell it how to price it you know what they could do for those customers and they nailed it perfectly and they stuck to their core mission of doing that but at the heart of it was let's make this let's make mobile robots easier for folks in the warehousing and logistics business and with waypoint we wanted to make robots easier for small to mid-sized enterprises especially but our customers ended up being huge companies as well um, that uh, you know that completely different deployment paradigms but same mission right make it easy break down the walls to deployment make it faster so quick acronym check for our audience out there that might not be as familiar. Three PLs. Can you define that real quick? Third-party logistics. Yes. Okay. Because so. I know we've got a lot of manufacturing leaders out there want to keep everyone involved, which is where my next question is going to go as well because, you know, we're here at the conference. You just got off stage. You were talking a lot about flexibility in your presentation. So why is flexibility so important for AMRs when it comes to installations? Well... So flexibility, uh, it, it can, it means many things with AMRs. Um, on a minute to minute basis, flexibility means if somebody leaves a box on the floor, the AMR can see it and drive around it instead of sitting there all day draining its batteries, which is what AGVs would do. And uh, flexibility day to day, week to week, if you're a machine shop, and your work changes on a regular basis because you do one job for a customer and then another customer comes in with a different job, being able to configure and reconfigure the robot to meet whatever job you currently have working, um, that kind of flexibility is, is essential. Like you, it, it doesn't make any sense if that company can't reconfigure their robot in that way. Um, and then flexibility in terms of like with Locust being able to add 100 robots during peak season, right? That's incredible flexibility. Um, so there's those types of flexibility. And then when you're talking about deploying the system, um, the, you know, the, the way I think flexibility is so important is being flexible in terms of working with the environment instead of trying to reshape the environment to match the limitations of the technology. So Kiva, because it was the first really big automation or AMR-ish acquisition, those robots, and again, no wrong answers in mobile robots, but they were really AGVs. They're very simple systems and all the intelligence lied in the software. Um, and uh, like hats off to Kiva. Mm -hmm. Those are brilliant folks who built a great product. Yep. Um, but you had to tear down the building almost. And, and for and those of you who, who don't know who, who Kiva is, you know, could you... Where, where's, where's, where, who was Kiva and who is Kiva now? Yeah, so <laughs> Kiva was uh, one of the first companies, if not the first company, to, to really do a great job of automating warehousing with mobile robots. Yep. And uh, one of their customers was Amazon.com, and Amazon decided they wanted all of the attention of Kiva. And so 
they bought the company and uh, so now Amazon Robotics is yep. what Kiva used to be and it's funny we all still talk about Amazon Robotics like they're a player but they don't sell to anybody yeah. which by the way is where Locus came from because Locus was a Kiva customer also and then Amazon decided you know what we don't want any of our competitors to have these cool toys so we're taking them all back yep. um, and uh, the folks at Quiet Logistics which is where uh Locust spun out of, they uh, said, yeah, that never again. You know, we're going we're gonna to make our own autonomous mobile robots and uh, we're going to fix everything we felt like was broken about Kiva. And one of the things that was really difficult is the barrier to entry to completely gut a building and then rebuild it from the ground up in a way that fit the technology was a huge barrier to entry. And so they wanted to be able to deploy into a building just the way it is and keep right on trucking. I think that's a really good summary. When we, we always think about flexibility, we always talked about, well, AMRs are flexible. There used to be AGVs, the autonomously guided vehicles that followed um, barcode scanners or magnetic trap, you know, tracks, and AMRs were the definition of flexibility when it came to robots. But we got to think beyond just what you talked about. Flexibility isn't just in seconds and minutes reacting to a trash bin that was left in the middle of the floor. It's about future expansion, um, changing in applications moving forward. So I think when a lot of companies look at installations, look at flexibility, they need to set something. And, and this is another t key takeaway that I had is set your expectations realistically around AMRs. Um, and and they're, to, to view it as a tool to the challenge you're facing rather than just, this is the solution, it's going to work, there's nothing else that needs to happen. You know, talk to me more about this idea as it's a tool to yeah. the industry. Well, and and I would make the point that this is a tool for people who are working in manufacturing or, or warehousing. And this is another area where uh, different as our solutions were, Locus and Waypoint had a, the exact same philosophy. Um, in the case of Locus, they wanted to make a tool for the people who were doing picking in the warehouse to... To, to make their quality of life better and make them a lot more productive. And, you know, they did that by limiting the amount of walking they have to do, um, increasing uh, how quickly they could uh, acclimate to the picking process. It is really easy to, to get trained and start working with a Locust system. And so Locust was very focused on the people who do the work of picking in a warehouse. How do we make a tool for them? And at Waypoint, we are, I mean, it says it everywhere, workforce first, right? This is a tool for the people who are using these robots in manufacturing applications and warehousing and elsewhere. So um, the I, I say all the time that if a roofer had to go to community college to learn how to use a nail gun, they'd all still be swinging hammers. <laughs> and when you think about the fact that AMRs are not so good that you can just punt one out of the back of a delivery truck and they take off and automatically find their way through a building and somehow know what you mean when you throw a box at it, you know, they need people um, and people need the robots um, to, to be able to keep up with demand and get more done and not ruin their bodies with so much hard physical labor and walking. And so if you know the robots need people and you know the people need the robots, why not make it easy? And why not build that tool for those people? 
So to wrap things up, the the one one question I have, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, right? You mentioned different AMRs bring different things to the industry, right? What would you say is the unique differentiator around Waypoint, and what's the best way to connect with you and your company? Uh, so I don't forget the best way to connect is uh, waypointrobotics.com or locusrobotics.com. Um, and the differentiators, we when we do trade shows, we often have people who kind of are trying to do a drive-by, and they're like, how much does that thing carry? And they almost don't start, you know, don't stop walking, um, which I get it, right? Nobody wants to be accosted. But this is true. We have people who then stick around for 90 to 120 minutes talking about all of the differentiators. We did so many things different with these robots that um, it's really hard to pick one. I say the most important one is just how easy to use it is. And all the robots on the market now are way easier than they were a couple years ago, for sure. Um, but ours is designed so that even a CEO can figure it out. You know, you can, the, the people who unpack the box can set this thing up and use it. Um, there's always a big green button to guide you to what you wanna, probably want to do next. Um, so every differentiator, though, is really predicated on having a robot that can do the robot stuff on its own without having to have a person, an expert, compensate for what the robot can't do. So like our 3D perception as one example the best thing about that as robot tech it's cool it's three-dimensional 360 degree lidar when you see the scans it looks amazing but the best part about that is i don't have to send the, ro the the roofer to community college right the robot sees the world in a way that's similar to the way we see the world and so if there's a pallet hanging off the front of a uh, a forklift it's an overhead obstacle and the the safety lasers can't see it um, most robots just have a 2d uh, safety, uh, safety laser, hopefully, or a regular laser. Um, trying to teach your shipping and receiving clerk about how 2D LiDAR works versus 3D LiDAR is a non-starter. What needs to happen is that robot needs to see the world in the same way we do, and it needs to react and behave in a way that we expect it to behave. So you don't have to explain how awesome 3D LiDAR is and how self-driving cars use it and all that. You know, it's just like, well, it's not going to do something really dumb. Um, because you didn't, you know, go through these complicated steps to set it up. So it's that everything we've done points back to ease of use, ease of deployment, and serving the people who want to quickly put it to work. So workforce first, right? Absolutely. That's what it comes down to. Absolutely. Well, well, hey, this has been great. Jason, thanks so much for jumping on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. All right, another acquisition story, more discussions around flexibility, plus some AMR history with Kiva Robotics. That interview was stacked, and we're going to keep rolling right through. We're going to take a break from the robotics companies themselves for a second and get you introduced to another technology provider in a style very true to manufacturing happy hour. So we are here with Ben Waters, CEO and founder of Ybotic. And tell us a little bit about it, because the funny thing is I met a bunch of your team last night at the uh, the rum nosing ah, event that was going typical. on. So, yes, uh, we, we were having a rum tasting, which is good, right? Because that means you're perfect for manufacturing happy hour. So, but describe, describe what you guys do as if we were having a drink. Yes, indeed. Well, first of all, thanks for having me here, guys. Pleasure, and um, it's fun to see lots of robots here in Memphis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ybotic has been around for... About six years now based out of Seattle 
we develop wireless charging hardware and software that manages charging for big fleets for the robotics industry, for the drone industry, for the space industry, and the broader industrial automation market. Um, charging for autonomous systems is very important because if they cannot charge themselves reliably and at scale, the cost savings and the efficiency savings that companies are looking to achieve with automation just go out the window and you're left with a lot of maintenance, a lot of downtime, and a lot of broken robots that need to be charged manually, which is not good. So that's what Wybotic does. And, and you, myself, and Jake, we were talking before we started hitting recording, you gave a really nice analogy talking about like cell phone chargers, right? Can you go through that? Because I, I think that'll help paint the picture for people that might not be as familiar with this right out of the gate. Yeah, I often say, you know, raise your hand if you have had to buy a new cable to charge your iPhone. You know, they break, they bend, and things happen and they stop working, right? So imagine this problem for fleets of thousands of robots. If you get to the point where you're, if your solution requires a plugged in cable or even a mechanical contact, that is going to fail. It's just a matter of when. So when we talk with companies about really investing in charging infrastructure, you know, we're talking to companies who have understood this pain point and don't want to deal with those things that consumers have dealt with for cell phones. And I think the one thing with that mechanical product is, right, my Samsung Galaxy is not going to have the same connection as your your iPhone. Yes, as obnoxious as that is. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's some of the really cool ideas as we're talking about this, this continued conversation around inoperability, where all these different devices as like FedEx, for example, as an end user who has a half a dozen different AMRs, AGVs, wireless, you know, uh, autonomous forklifts on their floor right now. It's important for these companies as they adapt more solutions under this facility to have a standardization where they don't want to have just from a... Um, a crib and a product standpoint, they don't want to have a bunch of random diverse products on the floor. They want to sell something standard. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you, going back to the cell phone analogy, it took, that cell phone charging standard was in development for the better part of five to 10 years. And when that finally got done, boom, every cell phone has wireless charging. You can buy chargers from the manufacturer. You can buy third-party chargers and they all work and people like it. Um, as interoperability becomes a thing for robotics, um, it's, it's critical, right? Chargers take up floor space. If you have 12 different robots with 12 different chargers times however many of those robots are in a facility, each with its own unique charging station, think about what that means for an end user like FedEx. What if a worker nudges the charging station a couple feet over? Okay, they got to remember which robot's charging station that was. They got to log into it, tell the robot that the charging station moved. All that stuff's being incorporated into these interoperability standards that we are a part of. We publish data to the interoperability standards about the location of the charging station. Any robot, even if it has a different battery, can go to that charging station and charge up, and it knows where it is. And we even are taking that a step further in some of the stuff we're doing in software to optimize the logistics around charging. Like if you've got a few minutes 
of downtime between a task, our system will say, there's a charger right there, go, go charge for five minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you increase the utilization of the robots. You decrease the, the bad, unwanted downtime that they're spending over there. And that, that has a lot of cost savings as you, you, you add it up across a bunch of different systems. Absolutely. So um, I think this next thing is, is we're not just talking about robots here. We're talking about drones, AGVs, AMRs, and as you said, battery-powered systems in the tricky places. You know, expand more into that. Yeah, I, I felt very fortunate at Wybotic because we've had an opportunity as a business to see tons of different applications in which we're solving the same problem, just in different different ways. So we work with companies who are doing fully autonomous drone inspections for remote power lines that have caused huge problems in the last years with fires and leading to terrible events, right? Those companies are investing in infrastructure to put drones at those sites, fly, land, charge, download data, so they can get as quick of a warning as possible if something's going on or if the 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 crop growth is high and it's dry and presents a fire risk right um we work with companies who are doing you know vertical farming indoors and they have track mounted camera systems going all over the place monitoring the crop health and it's wet in there it's humid in there they need good infrastructure to keep those systems powered so we solve this kind of same battery charging in tricky places problem for for a lot of different industries and um, it's exciting i mean all of those industries i wish i could say there's one that's just blowing them all out of the water but they're all just elevating and growing um you know in their own way and um, it's put our company in good position speaking of of tricky industries i also understand that you charge robots on the moon is that correct we are uh, our our slogan at Wybotic for many years was powering the world of automation, and I have a slide deck for the space stuff where I crossed out world and wrote universe. So powering the universe <laughs> nice. of automation, and we're super excited to be partnered with uh, NASA and uh, a company called Astrobotic, who we are developing space qualified versions of our charging systems to power robots that are going to the moon in 2024. So that's, and it just uh, it makes sense from that perspective, right? You can't have an, an astronaut randomly plugging in advice or worry about contact or dust or all these unknown materials, right? I think that's one thing about a lot of these manufacturing logistics facilities. There's a lot of unknowns, no matter how much control you put into place. Yeah. And and when you're doing that non-contact based solution, totally. Yeah. The the specific technical problems that we are addressing with the NASA work. Are, are very hot keywords in the space industry right now. It's resistance to regolith. Regolith is space dust. Okay. And it's much finer than dust on Earth. And since there's no gravity up there, it tends to get into things very easily. So contacts, cables, all that stuff really struggle with being robust against regolith over time. And wireless charging is great. Everything's sealed up, no interface. Doesn't matter if there's regolith there, it'll just power through it. It's a closed system. Yeah. And then the second thing is lunar night survival. The When the sun goes down on the moon, it's down for an equivalent of about 14 Earth days. 
and most stuff in space is solar powered. So here you have a two week window where your robots and other things on the moon that are battery powered are not able to gain access to solar. And they only have a limited battery capacity in the vehicle itself. But if you have bigger infrastructure like you know, energy grid level battery packs that can store energy, then the robots can drive over to those things, wirelessly charge up and operate during this two week lunar night. And this is something that no one has been able to do on the moon or Mars because of this problem. So it's enabling kind of this new opportunity to explore the moon at times we haven't been able to in the past. So you're powering the universe. Where in the universe can folks connect with Wibotic? Yep, uh, we are most active on LinkedIn. Um, we love when people ping us on our website. We check it very regularly and we will respond very quickly. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I tend to post things that are questions people don't always think about when it comes to batteries. Like uh, if you actually count this up, it's pretty interesting. How many lithium batteries exist in your home? And do you have to think about charging today? You know, the average from a survey we did was uh, 16, which is, you know, it is what it is, but that's a lot of batteries that yeah. among our busy lives, we have to think about charging. So imagine you're not in the picture. How do those batteries charge up? That's, you know, the types of things we like to think about at Wibotic. So Well, I would love to set an idea. I could take my GoPro, my camera, my DSLRs, my drone that's sitting behind me, and I'll use just a unified charging space. Yep. That, that would be convenient. And for those of you that do want to connect with Ben Waters and for, uh, that want to connect with Wibotic, that's Wibotic, W-I-B-O-T-I-C. So look them up. And Ben, just wanted to say thanks so much for being on the today's show. Thank you both. Wireless charging. And as always, it's cool to hear where Wibotic got their start with wireless charging in fleets from drones to robots to automation in general, as Ben said. Lots of overlap in the industrial world all the way to outer space. We're halfway there, so we're going to keep her moving. Our next guest has a little story to kick off the interview, so let's get you introduced to her. Uh, Weiss or Wise? Also. Wise. Wise, okay. Wise. Just wanted to make sure I got that right. My family's last name is completely made up. All right. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, well, the, I'm, wait, yeah. I'm going to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, so, okay. Well, but I don't know if it's true. It's like family lore. <laughs> well, well, okay. So so we're, we, we're going to dive into our interview here. So we're here with Melanie Wise, CEO of Fetch Robotics. And, and I was just asking about the pronunciation of your name, but you told me your last name's totally made up. So t tell me a little about this lore, as you say. Yeah, so it's family lore. I don't know if it's true, but supposedly my, my part of my family came to the United States during the potato famine. And the the kid that came to the United States was very young and he didn't know his last name. And when he got to Ellis Island, they said, you were very wise for leaving. Mm. And that was his <laughs> last name. All right. Okay. But it's really hard to say if that's the truth because you know how family will lore. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> right. You know, a lot of bar conversations that, you know, transition in time. Yeah. Well, well, now that we've given gotten the background on your name, true or not, let's get the truth about the founding of, like, Fetch Robotics as well. So August 8th, 2014, yes. correct? Yes. Not looking at my notes. Tell us, tell us what it was like getting it off the ground. Um organized or poorly organized chaos. Um, 
I, I think the 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 good thing is is that when you look at the guys I started Fetch Robotics with, um, so Mike Ferguson, Derek King, Eric Dyer, we actually all worked together at Willow Garage, um, and and you know for us we kind of had this almost telepathic way of working together. We had, at Willow, we had built so many robots together and, and we kind of decided early on what we wanted to do once we started the company. We got in a room, we kind of said, this is the spec, we're gonna build it to this spec and go from there. And so the first, the first three or four months, we worked in a very small shared office space and we just designed it all. I mean, um, we did something that I would say most companies would be very jealous of in some ways because there were four of us and we did all of all of the de the design very quickly. And what was really funny is after after we had um, done all the design, the mechanical and the hardware design, and a lot of the early software design, we started hiring employees. We actually hired some some previous coworkers at at Willow, and you know one of them was a designer, one of them was a purchasing person, and Dave, our designer, he did all the the industrial design that that um, that makes Fetch so unique, um, and and then we started hiring people who we hadn't worked with before and things like that. And and one of the funnier things is we hired people who had had previous robotics experience. And so we kind of did the design and we were very confident that the parts were gonna come back, go together fine, turn on and the robot was gonna work. You know, we'd done this so many times, there was no question, you know. But some of our employees were like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like the robot's probably gonna have this problem or that problem or start on fire. And all of us were like, stop, the robot will never catch on fire. We don't do that. But <laughs> that is not in our business plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but you know, I think I think that it was it was a pretty exciting time and and we got an early seed round of $3 million that allowed us to get a lot of the hardware and stuff like that built and start to get to our, our early engagements with customers. And then we very quickly got a $20 million Series A after mm -hmm. that um, from SoftBank. And that was, that actually gave us a lot of breathing room as a, as a startup to to figure out the path forward in terms of some of the things around business model, because you have to remember in 2014, people weren't even calling these things AMRs. They were like, are they AGVs? Are they self-driving, SDVs, self-driving mm -hmm. vehicles? Mm -hmm. I mean, they had every acronym on the, the face of the earth. And I, I came into a meeting one day, I was like, we are calling this thing AMRs. We are going to get the industry to adopt it as AMRs. And, and there was a lot of missionary work early on in the creation of the company for helping people understand the technology, how it worked, um, and then trying to bridge this gap between customers and kind of their expectations and stuff like that. So I'm going to continue on that conversation. You talk about, you know, missionary work with your customers. And this is an interesting thing to look at. You care a lot about safety. Yes. But a lot of times it feels like that's a second thought to end users. I mean, expand more on that topic. Why does it feel like the people integrating the system who you want, you know, to buy it, yeah. you know, why, why do you care more or why yeah. should they care more? Well, they should care more. Um, and the, OSHA firmly believes that they should care more. But I think one of the challenges is that in general, safety standards are behind the curve. 
um, because technology typically outpaces safety standards. And safety is kind of a religion. You either believe in it or you don't mm -hmm. at some point. Um, and some of it is also just they have, they're not sure what to do, where to start, how to start. And so a lot of where we're at right now with the AMR safety standards, since it was just published last December, is some of this missionary work. What is this standard? How should you be using it? Why should you be using it? Why is it important? How does it protect workers? Um, and how to take ownership of the process. And it, it's, it's funny because when you, when you look at it, they already do these things with the other types of material handling equipment they use day to day, forklifts and things like that. And so um, it's funny, you know, when someone asked me today at the talk, someone's like, well, are you responsible for safety? Or the, is the vendor responsible for safety? Or is the warehouse manager? And I'm like, the warehouse manager is responsible for safety. You know, you're there 24-7 operating your facility. Mm -hmm. You're responsible for the workplace safety and the people in your care in some way. Yeah, that's a great point. So let's talk about um, deployments of AMRs as well um, in not-so-easy environments. Yes. Jake, I want you to frame this Yeah, I mean, up. so that's kind of just a summary of what you talked about with the, you know, a really good keynote this morning. You know, what are some big takeaways that people should have when, you know, there's a first-time AMR user? What are some of the key aspects that they should be looking at to define those risk assessments? Yeah, so I think the first thing is, is, is it's all about the operating environment. You know, what is inside your warehouse? Do you have a lot of debris on the floor? Do you have water on the floor? Do you have glass walls in your warehouse? I don't know why you would have them, but <laughs> these are the types of things that are hard for robots to see or deal with. And, and you know, being aware of that and understanding the change that you have to make in your facility to, to use them as part of your process. I think it's, sometimes I think it's funny because we, many people have Roombas and, and we all know the secret behind the Roomba, right? Like you clean up for the robot so the robot can clean up for you, right? <laughs> Let me pick everything off the floor, <laughs> put everything back, get all the kids' toys picked up, and then it can vacuum. Right. <laughs> and the, the same is true in many, in many cases for technology, whether it's AMRs or industrial robot arms. We have to create the right environment for them to be successful. And, and it, it, I think one of the things is, is that people don't think about that, that what's true at home is at, true at work in many cases. And so what, what I think the other thing is, is that they need to start believing and, and, and acting on the principle that safety is a continual process and, and understanding the unique you know, circumstances of their environment. For example, today we talked about uh, Travis Association for the Blind, where about 50% of their staff is blind or visually impaired. And that's a really great one to talk on because there's so many unique circumstances that make that deployment interesting. And we can talk about how safety is applied in those unique circumstances. So I'm gonna change gears here as, as we get to the last part of this conversation. A big question that was in my mind before this was getting acquired, right? Zebra recently acquired you for 305 million, which was what? That's like a hundred X your seed round of investment that you got that you first mentioned with the 3 million. What goes through your head when you're getting acquired, right? Cause there's gotta be some rational thoughts. There's gotta be some emotions. Just paint the picture for us. Yeah. I, I think that the first thing you think about is how do I do the right thing for everyone involved? Um, you know, 
building a startup is a lot of work. Uh, and you want to make sure that on the other side of this transaction, all the people that helped you get there are, are happy and feeling that it was a success. And so the, the thing is, is although the number is the number that everyone reads, there's all the finer details around making it a good transaction. And I think, I think that, you know, my focus since, since we started the process of trying to figure out, you know, what was the right fit because Zebra wasn't the only player involved in, in the acquisition conversation, right? And making sure that it was the right fit, making sure that we saw a long-term, you know, I guess, vision with them and that we could work together and, and that the team would be successful in that kind of environment. And so that's what went through my head. And then also, man, I never have to work again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I have to think that crosses your mind once, but you're still having a lot of fun doing the work. Yeah, of course, I get to talk to guys like you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? Now you're just kind of in cruise mode, just talking about your passion. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, what's the best way to get connected with Fetch Robotics? Yeah, so uh, we obviously have a website, we have an Instagram account, uh, Twitter, and you can always reach out to info or sales at Fetch Robotics, or um, I think it's zebra.com it's like fetch info at zebra.com or okay. something like that okay but what is what's the instagram and twitter handle right we don't get enough of those right but we need some more manufacturing in people's feeds right more robots it's just <laughs> fetch robotics Easy perfect. Enough. perfect simple <laughs> great branding enjoyed the conversation melanie thanks so much for jumping on with us today thank you i really appreciate cheers you can never have too many conversations around safety Glad that topic came up again, and a big congrats to Melanie and the whole Fetch Robotics team on that massive acquisition. Now, that's not the last time we're going to be talking about funding and venture capital today. Our next guest also has some big news to share that came up recently. And what's also exciting is that our last two guests are past alumni of Manufacturing Happy Hour. So let's get you reintroduced to Michael Patrick Perry. Finally at beer drinking <sighs> manufacturing happy hour. Yes. Well, cheers. Yes. What am I drinking? Cheers, gentlemen. Um, you are drinking a beer from Ghost River. We're all drinking beers from Ghost River, which I believe is located here in Memphis. Let me just double check. Memphis, Tennessee. Brewed yep. in Memphis, Tennessee. But this is exciting because this is another return guest. But the first time a return guest has come on Manufacturing Hour, Happy Hour, after switching jobs. And I believe last time we were theoretically having drinks at what? Mad Squirrel, Barking Squirrel, something like that? Mighty Squirrel. Mighty Squirrel. Yep. Mighty Squirrel out uh, in, in kind of the tech corridor of Boston, correct? That's right. The Boston That's right. area. Um, but today we're hanging out in Memphis. So you said you wanted to talk a little bit about Memphis. It's been 15 years since you've been here. But, Michael, you're excited to be back. Dude, it is fantastic. Uh I woke up this morning, did a run along the Mississippi. Last night we uh, ate ourselves silly at Rendezvous Barbecue. Uh, it's been a fantastic time, and I can't think of a better place for this event. This is a cool one, right? Like, I can't think of many other reasons that get me down to Memphis terribly often. Um, yeah, we did Central Barbecue, the original Central mm -hmm. Barbecue. Yeah. They've got a couple of those. We did that right when we landed on 
Monday. I guess it's only Wednesday. Gosh, yeah. it's been a crazy <laughs> week so far. Can't keep track of it. But, you know, Michael, you're at Dexterity now. Um, last time we talked, you were at a different company. But we'd love to chat a little bit about um, your resume a little bit first. So I'm, I'm going to highlight a couple things. Obviously, you were at Boston Dynamics the last time I, I spoke with you. Jake here is excited because you worked with DJI, yeah. the drone I'm a, I'm a big drone nerd, so immediately I'm like, yeah. oh, man. We're talking now, Jake. We we got we got to exchange some thoughts. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Do you have a drone question to kick things off? Like, let's let's start there. Let's have some fun. You know, honestly, it's for for me. It's just making photography more accessible to the everyday person. Yeah. I think that's you know, drones have been around for a long time, and I could totally have a podcast on drones. But I think what's great the fact is you know I have the mini too, and I could take this guy and throw him in my suitcase. Mm -hmm. It's 249 grams, which is you know for people in the drone industry that means a lot, you know, <laughs> and just go around and just get some amazing footage. I was literally out here, you know, I'm looking 200 feet down to the balcony right now, and I just got some amazing area view of downtown Memphis. It was absolutely beautiful. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, drones are an amazing tool. You know, I, I'm glad to hear that you're a fan, Jake, because I'm the same way. I'm, I'm a photographer at heart. Mm -hmm. Having a robot help me frame shots better, yeah. you know, control the camera in three dimensions, unlocks another level of creativity. And a story, right? Yeah. You could explain yeah. so much more of, I'm sure we'll get some more actual video footage out when it comes to all this content we're making right now, but yeah. when you could just see downtown Memphis, see the city, yeah. you know, literally the, the Mississippi River just right next to it, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Well, I know I set you guys up for it, but I hate to break it to you. The drone conference is next week. We're, 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 we're at an AMR conference right now, so let's let's talk about Dexterity. You know, Michael, you know the drill. Well, and, and, and Michael Perry from Dexterity, for all of you out there listening, want to make sure I properly introduce him. Explain Dexterity as if we're having a beer with one another. <laughs> so the thing that really got me excited about Dexterity is that in the past I've worked with drones, so robots that fly. And I've worked with Spot, which is a robot that walks. And I feel like I've done the hat trick now with robots that grasp and manipulate things. Yeah. The really cool thing, though, is that when I thought about grasping and manipulation in robotics, I thought about things that are incredibly precise, that require very pristine environments, very neat and orderly scenarios for the robot to be successful. Dexterity is going about the problem the opposite way. It's assuming that the world is chaotic, that the parcels that it's receiving and has to unload or singulate are unstructured, and it's never seen it before. It has to figure out a way to grab it and do something meaningful. So this team is using um, advanced robotics controls, vision, planning, indefector design to create solutions that tackle these messy material handling challenges that are beyond precision, that transcend precision. And so we pick everything from loose poly bags to, um, you know, loose top car uh, cardboard containers. Uh, we even picked a molten chocolate cheesecake fairly recently. Wow. And we were able to, or, you know, singulate it into a, an order that was going out the door for one of our that customers. That must have been really tough to, you know, play with that demo and, you know, <laughs> you know, eat some of the rewards. <laughs> have your demo and eat it too, yeah. as they say. Well, here's the deal, Jake, is that it's not a demo. This is in production. 
These okay. goods are making it to people. And in fact, if you live on the the West Coast and you've bought a certain category of consumer goods, it's likely that you're touching a, ro uh, a consumer good that's been touched by our robots. If you live in the East Bay and you've received parcels from one of the largest parcel carriers, it's likely that it's been touched by our robot. And that's pretty fantastic uh, to, to be a part of something like that. So you're on a new adventure. And speaking of an adventure, I mean, as we're recording this today, when this comes out, it'll be in the rear view mirror a little bit. But big news for Dexterity today, a $140 million funding round on top of the $60 million you already had. So tell us why this news, beyond just the number, is exciting for you guys. At a $1.4 billion evaluation. <laughs> Thank you for the last Crazy, <laughs> crazy. Yes. No, it's, it's really exciting. And there, there's a, a few things that are happening simultaneously. The traditional um, conversation about warehouse automation is this is a really slow sales cycle and like people take their time and they're evaluating the technology. The time is now. You know, just today, you know, the port of Los Angeles is going to 24-7 operations. You know, the GDP of the U.S. might be a hit by 1% because of the supply chain woes that we've had over the past year. The time is now yep. to figure out how automation can solve these problems. And our customers know it, and obviously our investors know it as well. So we're seeing a rapid demand for increasing the deployment of our robots. And you'll see in the next couple of months some news about our robots expanding pretty significantly. So you're talking about the implementation of, of automation, but you know, I want to discuss a little bit deeper on autonomy and really the, the autonomous transformation. How is this being broken down, right? When you look at the big three, right? That's one of the you know, first companies that adapted robotics at a mass scale and, you know, in a lot of areas adapted other solutions as well. Yeah. How are we breaking down, you know, autonomous transformation solutions into more discrete steps, I guess you could say? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, when you go to um, an event like this or you talk to some of these robotics companies, everybody is thinking about the lights out warehouse where you can just set it and forget it. Uh, and the system runs itself. But what does that actually mean in terms of what, what does it actually look like on a day-to-day -day basis? And nobody, everybody has a different perspective of what that is. And that difference in perspective makes it hard for us as an industry to move towards the same goals. So, you know, when we thought about a big transformational change in the way that you think about a technology, you know, because if you just add a single robot for a bunch of discrete tasks around the warehouse, or even if you implement an ASRS system, you're replicating a lot of the same inefficiencies that have existed in the industry and you're making it 10, 20% better. So how are we gonna completely change the industry? Well, uh, an industry that's gone through that change recently is automotive. They're thinking about a world where you can be in a car and take a nap and go from LA to New York now that world's far off, yeah. but there are a series of steps for how to get there. So we're thinking about the lights out warehouse as the fully autonomous car, yeah. where at the end of that journey, you have complete visibility across the supply chain. You can get just-in-time goods, know exactly where they are throughout the supply chain. What is the what are the steps that are going to take you there? That's it's the peak of the mountain, but you still have to go through many different crossings to reach that peak. That's right. So you know you mentioned the big three, that type of traditional pick-and-place robot where you have a very confined, repeatable set of tasks is level one, mm -hmm. right? Where something is very precise uh, with the robotic controls. Then you start thinking about level two, which are like these smart 
grasping robots that can handle some dynamic systems, but they're still fairly in place. You start thinking about level three, robotics that collaborate, that know what each other are doing and can work together to solve a task. Level four being a person's in the loop where they're feeding and working together with the robot to handle some of those things that the robots can't figure out by themselves. We think of a level five transformation as complete visibility across the inbound to outbound in a warehouse. So you're able to see when something gets off the truck to when it goes out the door and you know all the telemetry of the package and figure out how it's moved through the site. Yeah. And then the last thing is level six, which is what if you had that visibility not across just one warehouse, but all of your warehouses? And what if you had that visibility up and down the supply chain? So if you're a parcel carrier, what's your retail e-commerce partner send, sending you tomorrow? Mm -hmm. How are you gonna plan for that? How are the people uh, on the last mile side going to start planning for the, the goods that are coming through? So that total visibility, we think, is the equivalent of sleeping on the way from LA to New York in a car. That visibility, but also that flexibility that's yeah. within that solution. Yeah, that's right. And you know, no one partner or, or company is gonna solve that. It's gonna take the industry, it's gonna take robotics providers, but also AMR and mobility companies. It's gonna take WMS providers, integrators. Uh, everybody's gonna need to come on board with that vision to make it happen. Yeah, I love the analogy as well, comparing it to that, you know, falling asleep and getting from San Francisco to L.A. Like, I wish I could have done that when I lived out in California, <laughs> right? But didn't have that opportunity, moved away since then. We're going to switch up because we only have a limited time here today because I do have a, a personal career question for you as well. And we were chatting about this a little bit at the start of our conversation today. I mean, the last time I interviewed you, you were at Boston Dynamics. We mentioned we talked about drones and an extent today that you were at DJI. I'm curious, what are you looking to maybe personally and professionally accomplish with your new role here at Dexterity? Yeah. So I, I really get excited about transformational change. And you, when you think about the time that you have on this planet, mm -hmm. thinking about what it, what you can do to add the most value, and um, you know, I was really lucky to be a part of some of that transformational change at Boston Dynamics as we move from an R and D company to a commercial organization. And I hate to say it, but the flywheel's turning, and that team is doing some phenomenal things with the technology. Then mm -hmm. I started thinking about where where could I have a similar level of impact, and dexterity kind of has the inverse problem of Boston Dynamics. They have a great business, as mm -hmm. you know, indicated by our funding, mm -hmm. but nobody knows who we are. Sure. <laughs> yeah, Boston Dynamics is a powerful brand. You mentioned going from R&D, really getting into commercializing spot right now, as yeah. you had talked about last time. But yeah, flip that on its head, right? You're with a company that's already kind of in go mode, but the name Dexterity doesn't necessarily ring a bell the same way. Yeah, that's right. So. You know, I think once people see our robots in operation, they start understanding the vision. You know, I, I think um, you'll be hearing a lot more about us here soon. Well, exciting times ahead since people are just getting to know Dexterity and, and big news is breaking about you on a more regular basis now. What's the best way to connect with you guys? Well, follow us on LinkedIn. Um, you know, if you go to our uh, website, dexterity.ai, you can learn more. And of course, I'm always open to talk about robots. So just hit me up on LinkedIn. Yes, he certainly is open because it's the second time he's been on the show. Probably, <laughs> probably won't be the last either. So with that, hey, Michael, great having you back on. We'll end with another cheers, everyone. Cheers, guys. Cheers.
And for everyone, exactly. for everyone out there listening, make sure to check out Dexterity. Beers, barbecue, robots. I'd say all three of these are some of the key reasons that we created Manufacturing Happy Hour. One more to go. Last but certainly not least, we have Aaron Prather, Senior Technical Advisor at FedEx. And for context, FedEx was the premier sponsor for the AMR and Logistics Conference. All that to say is this interview is going to be a little more laid back. Aaron's the closer, but I think you're going to find some very constructive takeaways from this conversation. Let's dive in. All right, here we are. Final interview of AMRL 2021. And Jake and I are so, so underprepared for this conversation, Aaron. We literally took no notes this time. We have gone into every other conversation with a lot of great notes. But we're like, you know what? Aaron's he's a he's a manufacturing happy hour alumni. You've been here before. Yep. You've done the whole story. You've told us about Wiseacre Brewing, which we've drank while yep. we've been here mm-hmm. in Memphis. And uh, we're gonna have more fun before before this whole thing is done. But the event itself is starting to wrap up. And I, I guess the first question, Aaron, is how are you feeling? Very good. Good. Uh, I, I, we put a lot of time and effort. The team from A3 was amazing to work with. Uh, everyone at FedEx put in as much support as they could, and it showed. And the, the, the conference center was wonderful the entire time. I've heard nothing but pos- positivity. So I, I, I'm so so happy and so so tired at the same time can we, can we talk about memphis for a second yeah, I mean, yeah let's just, start with memphis i, I mean have, i have yeah. some constructive questions but yeah. we'll start with memphis this is memphis first time in memphis ever it is just a beautiful city i mean i wish i had someone following chris and i around last night on the bird scooters yeah i mean as we're literally zipping around town from place to place on some scooters mm-hmm. it it was just just the culture, the view, beautiful downtown city mm-hmm. um, with just some amazing, you know, breweries and, and food. Just awesome. Yep. And, and I was going to say, manufacturing happy hour style. Let's say we're having drink uh, drinks and dinner at, like, Bishop's tonight. Yes. Just, uh, Bishop or Bishop's? B- Bishop. Bishop, singular. So mm-hmm. let's theoretically uh-huh. say we're doing that, right? Um, if someone asks you, it's like, you know what, what was one of your best takeaways from the conference? What would your answer be, Aaron? Wow. Man, there's so were so many good takeaways. Uh, I, I I just think we're back, guys. We're 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 all back together, and that was. I mean, actually, this question was asked to me uh, before uh, by by somebody who was coming down, and and she was like, "Aaron, what's the biggest thing you're looking forward to?" I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again. It has been so hard just to. to I, I'm zoom. I, I'm zoom tired of everything and just being able to talk shop and actually see physical robots and all the the wonderful technology that is here it is not just amrs here there are a bunch of robots there's sensors there's all this support stuff but it's also just seeing the people again it was so great just to talk to people that i haven't haven't seen some, some for over two years and and that leads into we are a community we are a, a big community and we're all here to support each other. And that was what I, I will ultimately take away is A, we all came back together and A, we're, and B, <laughs> showing how tired I am <laughs> of that we are a community. We are a, a group that watches out and takes care of each other because that's how we all win in this, in the, this industry. 
I like that. This is kind of a different spin. I mean, certainly there's been a communal aspect, but I like that you're emphasizing this here in the last one because this is a, a different spin on it. Mm-hmm. I've got another question, but Jake, I've, I've been seeing a little bit of the thunder so far. Do you have one that you want to ask Aaron next? I mean, when we look at a lot of the different companies here, we're looking at the industry, right? And in the last 12 months, there's been $7 billion of VC invested into this robotics industry. In fact, what, over... Over the 48 hours that we've been here, there's been how many different <laughs> announcements? I, yes. I feel like they either planned them around the event or um, just amazing coincidence. But, I mean, we've been here. There's been some amazing partnerships mm-hmm. announced, and there's some huge acquisitions. Yes. It's it's amazing how this industry is going. So, I guess, where where is the industry right now on a, on an opportunity scale is there still room for startups to enter the market, do you see, Aaron? Or is this one of those things where you're in the game and if you weren't before? Boy, uh, good question, Jake. Yes and no. Okay. How I, and let me explain. Yes, there are opportunities for startups. There are still a lot of things to solve. But because of the VC rounds and already a lot of the established companies and because of the acquisitions. If you're a startup that wants to enter this, you're going to have to really nail your stuff down. And the biggest thing for those startups, uh, I mean, as a startup, you're always of do your customer, customer discovery, really find your customer's pain points. Now, more than ever, that is the biggest thing. If you're going to be a startup in this space, you better nail those customer discoveries. You really need to talk to your customers to find what are those still problems that are looking for solutions. And they're they're out there. Trust me, they're out there. You need to talk to us end users about those so you can see, is those market opportunities still there? Is there space for another AMR company? Eh, maybe, maybe not. It's there's There's a bunch of established folks out there, at great established technology. Same thing with some of the other robot applications, pick and place applications. A lot of money's been poured into that, and a lot of folks are already moving forward. So if you're one, if you're looking at those, I would I would be a little more hesitant unless you see something through your customer discoveries that those companies have missed. And what are you doing to drive interoperability with your solution yeah. to expand on that? Because let's yeah. face it, if you're going out there trying to develop your own privatized solution, I'm sure there's a better word for that, that isn't collaborating and communicating with other systems, you're going to be left behind. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. With interoperability, I think two years ago in Louisville for this conference, when interoperability was brought up, it was it, a lot of folks were, well, no, I don't think we, we need to do that. COVID changed that. With the with the boom now and the number of robotic systems being deployed, you need interoperability because no one can provide all the solutions we need now coming out of COVID. And so that's where I would actually say there are that's where we will probably see startups. And, and here at the conference, we've had startups like in orbit that are working on interoperability because that is a big thing. So the team at in orbit did their customer discovery. They see the opportunity and that's what they're going after. So. If you're looking in that interoperability space and you're seeing some gaps and openings, yes, as a startup, go after that. Talk to us, some of us customers, and we'll point you in the right direction. 
So I, I'm going to change gears a little bit here. And since this is the last interview, I'm going to ask the question to all three of us, actually. So I'll, I'll answer last. But what's something new we all learned this week? And Jake or Aaron, either of you can go first. Whoever wants to lean in. Jake, you're close to the... No, you're Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Aaron. pointing to Aaron. All right, Aaron, you're still the star of the show. So you get to lead off with what's something new that you learned this week? The advances in sensor technology that were introduced... Uh, one of the big things that was stressed by FedEx and other end users is that we need uh, technology AMRs that work indoor-outdoor. They can go from indoor environments to outdoor environments and back to indoor environments all day long. And for the longest time, the sensor technology didn't exist. We heard a bunch of new sensors that are coming out to the market that are actually hitting very important price points that make this economically viable. And so two years ago, that didn't exist. And now it is. And I would also say there were some announcements, uh, just to some of these partnerships that was like, wow, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense for those two companies to pair up. And it's just going to keep going down this path. And I, I think we're going to get into a routine where weekly, if, uh, if not almost daily, we're going to start seeing these breakthroughs in numerous areas from technology to partnerships to alliances, and the sky's the limit. Jake, what about yourself? We got sensors yeah. from Aaron. What about you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out there the importance of safety and standards. When we're walking out with these solutions, AMRs are being designed around humans. They're being designed around the worker. So when these solutions are being developed, we're talking about all the different products that are going to be affecting the manufacturing, the automation, the logistics industry. We need to keep a focus and um, uh, just this, this, the idea that the operators first, the workers first, and any solution that we're designing, we need to make sure the worker is, is what we're designing around. Um, and it's, it's, it's there to protect the worker's safety, mm -hmm. but it's also going back to this idea of what are we doing to make the workers who are in the existing workforce and the workers who are going to be entering the workforce protected, safe, and moving forward with purpose? Excellent. Excellent answer. So we've got a technology answer. We've got a workforce, a people answer. I'm going to go with a geographic answer. And I joked okay. about this in the LinkedIn post I put out on my three takeaways from day one. But gosh, a lot of these companies and people are based in Boston right now. Yeah. Like it's, you know, we knew it was a tech hub as it was, but I think a lot of people would associate it with med tech, but it's cool to see this, let's say more manufacturing centric, this more logistics centric industry and community and ecosystem mm -hmm. evolving up there in Boston. So that was one of my big takeaways yeah. as well. And it's already been announced that the next year's conference will be in Boston, and that's great. I think that's always great to go back to those those hometowns, uh, and we'll just see what happens after that. But it, I really think that, A, there definitely needs to be a Boston to Memphis flight. Yeah, <laughs> there's somebody's one today. schedule. Yeah. So uh, Delta, American United, if you're out there, uh, please <laughs> yeah. please look into that. Um, Good call to action there. Yeah. Um, and it's just, uh, but I, I think having those folks leave Boston and actually come down to where a lot of their key customers are and seeing that is, is, is a big thing. And I, I think I would not be surprised if some of those Boston companies start opening like field offices in the Memphis area yeah. based off of what they saw this week. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's uh, let's end on Memphis again, right? Because I was just thinking back earlier. We we got to wrap up, but we were talking about theoretically having a conversation at Bishop tonight, mm-hmm. right? Tell tell us what Bishop is, right? You said it's like a mix of like Southern and like French. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Bishop, Bishop is one of my <laughs> my favorite new restaurants. It opened uh it opened during the pandemic, so, uh, and it is a Southern take on French food. I'm excited. Yes. I, I'm, I'm glad we are not just theoretically talking yes. about it, but we'll actually get to enjoy uh, that. So, If you were in Memphis, get some southern French food. Well, I was, just, I was just going to say, if you need a reason to come to Memphis, in addition to it continuing to be the logistics hub of the U.S., if not the world, mm-hmm. right? Like, you got some good cuisine here as well, not just the barbecue. So, anyway, with that, gentlemen, this was fun. Great conference overall. Cheers to you, Aaron. I know you've been really spearheading yeah. Aaron, a ton just of Aaron, phenomenal job putting this yeah. together. It's it's great yep it, it was definitely a labor of love and but it's because uh this industry is so important and i i would do it again in a heartbeat love it well hey got it only only one way to sign out on manufacturing happy hour first ever manufacturing happy hour an official collaboration with jay call the manufacturing millennial to the crew out there stay innovative stay thirsty signing out from amrl 2021 sponsored by a3 cheers everyone cheers cheers all right that's a wrap that was a lot of content over two hours worth of interviews before i go any further first i do want to say that jake aaron myself and honestly i think most of the a3 team ate at bishop that night after the after the conference wrapped up so if you're in memphis check them out the burger there is fantastic but back on topic i'm glad we wrapped up by discussing takeaways as well as the community because that leads to another big community event and quite frankly one of the calls to action i have from this episode if you are interested in learning more about what's going on in the automation world right now you definitely want to check out a3's automate 2022 conference taking place june 6th through the 9th in detroit michigan Registration's open now. It's free to attend. You can get there by going to automateshow.com to register today. Or if you're listening to this episode in the future, and let's say June 2022 is already passed, well, A3, the Association for Advancing Automation, is always hosting events. Check them out at automate.org. And again, a big thank you to that organization for bringing all these people together, for making these interviews possible great group to be a part of as we wrap up if you enjoyed this uh let's say special edition of manufacturing happy hour the different format i love to hear that in the form of five star rating and reviews over at apple podcasts you can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash itunes takes you straight there on your desktop or on your iphone where it doesn't need to be more than a couple sentences of feedback honestly that's all we're looking for Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes if you're enjoying the show. And with that, we're getting back to our regular interviews next week. Thanks for sticking around. Hope you had some fun. We'll catch you again next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.